Let's open our Bibles to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. This morning we want to begin our lesson by reading Revelation 22. We'll read the first five verses. As you're opening your Bibles to Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, some have titled this, The Blessings of Heaven. As we read these verses together as a way of introduction to our lesson this morning, I want you to be thinking about heaven. And I want you to notice how these verses describe heaven. Let's begin our study by reading Revelation 22. We'll pick up in verse number 1. And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there, was there the tree of life, which bare, uh, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever." I hope as we study Scripture, and hopefully we read Scripture on a daily basis, that we will truly use our minds to reflect upon what Scripture says. To read Scripture, to use our imagination at times, to think about some of the beautiful things that are said about heaven. Yesterday... We uh, made our our way up to to Mason, and, and as we were driving up to to Mason, I noticed uh, a lot of creeks, and the grass was was green. As you know, we've been receiving a, a lot of rain, and you look at some of those creeks, and and the water was 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 crystal clear. I don't know if you've ever been uh, to the mountains, maybe in Colorado or, or some place like that, and you've had the opportunity to see some of the, the beautiful rivers that would flow. You can hear the water running over the rocks. Again, you see the water is, is crystal clear. You can look down. You can see the fish. You can see the rocks. You can see straight to the bottom. Some have wondered, well, will there be a a river in heaven because as we read the book of Revelation, we are reading figurative language. But what a beautiful, beautiful description we're seeing here about heaven. A, a, a river, and not any river, a river, the water of life, coming from the throne of God. Whatever this site is, it'll be the most beautiful thing you have ever seen. God, in in words to me, is is trying to describe heaven. And what God wants us to come away with as we read through this is 
Heaven is, is going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful place. Verse 2, we read about the tree of life. I believe the tree of life certainly symbolizes the things that, that we will need. God will supply. We read about the fruit that comes from the tree of life. The water of life, the tree of life, all of these things being provided by God. What's going to, to make heaven so wonderful, so special? We also read in these verses that the curse shall be removed. Again, the curse symbolizes something. It symbolizes evil. It symbolizes sin. Revelation 21 verse 4, it symbolizes death. The curse shall be removed. Revelation 21 verse 4, there will be no more death in heaven. And then in verse number 3, we read about us serving Him. We also read about seeing His face. And that's what's going to make heaven so wonderful and so glorious. We're going to see the face of God. We're going to see Him. We, we've never seen Him. We see Him through the eyes of faith, but we've never seen Him in that sense. In Revelation 22, it says that we will see Him. We're going to be in His very presence. And so as we read these, these five verses, God wants us to be thinking about heaven. And as we think about heaven, as we read the, the remainder of this chapter, we see that God wants us to live in view of eternity. He wants us to be thinking about heaven, but He also wants us to be thinking about how we live our lives in view of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, as we come to the last chapter of the New Testament, Revelation 22 God ends this great book by reminding us that Christ is going to return. And we know that how we live our lives here upon this earth determines where we're going to be in eternity. How we live determines whether we're going to see the river, the water of life, the tree of life. Depending on how we live, our lives will determine whether we'll have eternal fellowship with God. And so God is going to end this great book by reminding us about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice in Revelation 22, verse number 7, verse number 12, and verse number 20, that the Lord Himself says, I come quickly. I believe this has a, a reference to the Lord's return. I come quickly. If you were to look at that phrase, I come quickly, it's found six times in the book of Revelation. Twice it is used as a warning the Lord says, I come quickly when He addressed the congregation at Ephesus in Revelation 2 verse number 5. You remember they had left their first love. And the Lord says to them, remember where you have fallen, repent or else I'll come quickly and remove the candlestick. Uh, the second time it is used is found in Revelation 2 verse 16 
uh, as the Lord addressed the congregation of Pergamus. And you remember the congregation of Pergamus was, was tolerating strange doctrines, specifically the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And the Lord says to the congregation of Pergamus, uh, as a warning, I come quickly. If you don't repent, I will fight against you. Remember, there were some holding to that, that strange doctrine, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And the Lord says, don't, don't do that. Uh, else I will come quickly and I will fight against you with a sword. But then it is used in a, in a positive sense. Uh, and we see that in chapter 3, verse number 11, as the Lord addresses the congregation of Philadelphia. Remember, the congregation of Philadelphia uh, was one of the, the congregations that didn't receive any condemnation, all commendation. Here's a, a powerful, thus powerful Philadelphia, a powerful congregation. And here the Lord, as He is addressing the congregation of Philadelphia says, I come quickly, hold fast to my word so that you will receive the crown. Encouraging this congregation again to be faithful. And then as we noted here in Revelation 22, three times in the last chapter of the New Testament, the Lord reminds us of His return. You know why? Because the Lord wants us to be a part of what we just read about in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. He wants us to go to heaven. He wants us to be there in His very presence. And as I said, how we live our life here upon this earth determines where we will spend eternity. And we have to be ready for the Lord's return. We know from, from other passages of the New Testament that Jesus talks about His return. I want to quickly just highlight a few of these passages. If you would, turn back to, to Matthew chapter 24. There are, are several passages that we can turn to, but I want to, to highlight just a few passages in the New Testament, and then we'll go back to, to Revelation 22. But as you think about our Lord's teaching. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24. And the majority of this chapter actually talks about the destruction of, uh, of the temple. Uh, but we see that in verse number 36, that the Lord begins to, to talk about His return. And, and He says in verse number 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Look at verse number 44. In view of the second return of Christ, listen to what Jesus says in verse number 44. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is faithful, uh, who is a faithful and wise servant, whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Listen to what Jesus is saying in these verses. I'm going to, to come again, and I want you to be ready. Jesus is. is Encouraging us to, to live in view of His return. 
Look at another example in the book of 1 Thessalonians. As I said, there are many examples that, that we can turn to, but whether you consider the teaching of our Lord or whether we consider the various epistles, you, you, you can see that, that we're reminded throughout the Scriptures that the Lord is going to return one of these days. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As Paul writes this, this first letter, you'll notice chapter 1, uh, verse number 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Paul is talking about their conversion when Paul went into the city of Thessalonica. There were those who heard the gospel and they responded in obedience to the gospel. They became New Testament Christians. Now that they're Christians, notice their, their focus was now, verse 10, on Christ's return. Now, as you read the book of First and Second Thessalonians, these brethren misunderstood the second coming. They thought that the Lord's return would be at any moment, and some even stopped working because they thought that the Lord's return would happen at any moment. And so they stopped working, and they became lazy, and they became idle. And so the Lord is correcting their understanding of the second coming of Christ. Isn't it interesting? As you go through the book of 1 Thessalonians, you'll notice this at the end of every chapter. At the end of every chapter in this great book, the Lord talks about the second coming. Paul, being inspired by God, talks about the second coming. Look, in chapter 5, Paul at the end of chapter 4 talks about the second coming. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will so come as a thief in the night unexpectedly. Oh, I don't know when, when the Lord is going to return. The Lord can, can return at, at any time. That's why Jesus said, be ready. Now, as you think about the second coming of Christ, we realize that judgment is associated with the second coming of Christ. And there's a sense that if our mind isn't right, if our mind isn't spiritually focused on spiritual things, we could find ourselves living in fear of the return of Christ, like the brethren at Thessalonica. And there's no reason why we should dread that day, why we should fear that day. You see, when you read the book of 1 John chapter 2, uh, we can have confidence. Uh, we can have assurance. Read 1 John 2 verse number 8 and read John chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. God doesn't want us to be in fear. God doesn't want us to be scared. No, He wants us to live in view of that day. And as Paul says, we can anticipate that day. We can look forward to that day if we are faithful to God. 
But as I said, there were those who misunderstood the second coming of Christ. And that's why we have so much scripture addressing that day. We see that in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now I'll turn over, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3. There were those who misunderstood uh, the second coming of Christ. They even mocked this doctrine of the second coming. And we see this in 2 Peter chapter 3. And read with me verses 3 and 4. Knowing this first, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, and we're living in the last days, scoffers, walking after their own lust. And notice what they're saying in verse number 4. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Notice, some misunderstood this idea of of the second coming. And since Christ hasn't returned yet, they began to mock this doctrine. Well, drop down to to verse number 8. The problem is, is, is they view things from their own perspective, not through God's eyes. Listen to verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as as one day. And then look at verse number 9. You know why the Lord hasn't returned. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. What's the promise? The promise of His return. What is God doing? God is demonstrating His patience with mankind as time continues on, giving mankind the opportunity to repent. Why? Because of Revelation 22, 1-5, God wants me, God wants you to go to heaven. But we have to be ready. We have to be ready in view of Christ's return. Now let me say this from everything that we've looked at up to this point. It is certain, it is certain that Christ is coming. It is uncertain when He's going to return. Do you realize what that does for us? Again, it is certain that Christ is going to return one of these days. And He will judge this world in righteousness. Acts 17, verse number 30. But it's uncertain of that day, of that hour, Scripture says, knoweth no man. So what does the, the second coming do for us? Those of us who are living in view of that day, those of us who are making the proper preparation, the second coming of Christ gives us strong motivation to be ready, to be prepared for that day. I want to be ready. I know you want to be ready. And we can be ready. And so let's go back to to Revelation 22, to this great book. And let me ask this question. What should be the believer's response to Christ's imminent return? Again, what should be our response, the believer's response in view of Christ's return? We're going to pick up in verse number 7. And as we work our way, beginning at verse 7, down through verse number 12, there are four responses. There are four responses. In other words, 
Christ's imminent return return demands that we do some things. And we'll note those things. I want you to know, notice the flow of the book of Revelation 22. The Lord talks about heaven. The Lord talks about His return and how we should live in view of His return. All of this is packed into this last chapter. And as you know, we've been studying Revelation 22 for a couple of weeks. We've been looking at at different lessons and we are kind of started at the end and worked our way to the beginning. But all of this information is found in one chapter. Now, as you work your way through 7 through 12, it's easy to break this down. In your translation, you might see the word and. Now, if you're reading out of the, the King James, you won't see the word and, but it's there in the original language. And every time you see that word and, you'll see that there's a, a, a new point. Uh, there's, 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 there's something that, that the writer is, is addressing uh, that will encourage us to, to live in, in view of this judgment. Now notice the flow to this. As we begin to look at the first point, Christ's imminent, returns, uh, imminent return demands, number one, immediate obedience. It demands immediate obedience. Obedience. Look at verse number 7. Behold, there's our phrase, by the way, I come quickly. Notice this beatitude. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And notice verse number 14. Another beatitude. Here's the sixth beatitude, by the way, here in verse number 7. There are seven beatitudes, by the way, in the book of of, of Revelation. This is the sixth beatitude where the Lord says, Blessed, happy, like we see with the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. There are beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. There are beatitudes in the book of Revelation. We're looking at the sixth beatitude. Let me introduce you to the seventh beatitude. Essentially, it says the same thing. Blessed are they, verse 14, that do His commandments, that they may have, notice the connection, full circle here, that they may have the right to what? The tree of life. We just read about the tree of life. Where's the tree of life? Where's that river or that water of life? It's in heaven. Those who are obedient to God will be in heaven. In view of Christ's return, we must be obedient to our Heavenly Father. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. In 1 John 5, verse number 3, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. Every time you find a commandment, remember this, There's a good reason for it. Every time you find a commandment, there is a good reason for it. Even when you find the commandment, thou shalt not, there's a good reason for it. The commandments of God aren't there to hurt us. They're not there to to make life boring. God's commandments are there to help us. They're there to protect us. And we should welcome every commandment. We don't want to approach the Word of God like we do at Luby's Cafeteria. I want this or I want that. No, when it comes to Scripture, we want it all. 
We want to feast upon all of God's Word. We want to hear all of God's Word because we know that God's commandments are there to help us and to lead us and to guide us and to protect us. But my question is, as we think about verse number 7, verse number 14, what commandments is the Lord talking about? Again, verse number 7, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings, the commandments. Well, Lord, what commandments? From the book of Revelation. The reason I ask this, when you go back and you start in Revelation 4, and you come all the way to Revelation 22, now notice that that broad spectrum. From Revelation 4 to Revelation 22, you don't really find any commandments. Oh, you find a lot of wonderful things. Remember Revelation 4, Revelation 5, you have those throne scenes. Uh, As you begin studying Revelation 5, the seals of that book, that important book, are, are open and the seven seals lead to the trumpets, to the bowls of God's wrath. So many great things that, that we're learning in the book of Revelation. But Revelation 4 to 22 are, are, are not passages that, that are really filled with commandments. Things that we should be doing. We're learning about what God is going to do ultimately to the Roman Empire because they were persecuting the people of God. But when you study Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3, you're going to find commandments throughout those two chapters. And you remember how the book begins. Notice how the book of Revelation begins. That goes back to chapter 1, if we're thinking correctly. Chapter 1, listen to what the Lord says. Blessed, there's the first beatitude by the way, verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. And so from this point, as the Lord begins to address the seven congregations of Asia Minor, we find commandments. I'm not going to go through all of chapter 2 and chapter 3, reading the the different commandments, but I do want to highlight a few of them uh, for your consideration. Look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2 and and listen to what the Lord says uh, to the congregation uh, of Ephesus. Verse 2, I know your works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them to be liars. And look at verse 6, but this thou hast, you're doing this right, Thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, how would we summarize this? And by the way, what you see here at the congregation uh, at Ephesus also applies to, to other congregations. Now, Ephesus wasn't perfect. There were some things that, that they needed to, to correct. And you'll see that in verse number 5. They left their first love. Some will ask, well, what is that first love? Uh, I believe it it has to do with the motivation behind what they were to be doing. We let all things be done. How? In love, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14. And Paul talks about that motivation as it applies to spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Our motivation has to be right behind our good works. 
But what do we see here with the congregation at Ephesus? You see a militant congregation that stood for truth. Not everybody stands for truth, by the way. I hope I'm not trying to be too negative or disappoint you this morning, but I'm trying to be realistic here. And even within the body of Christ, not everybody is standing for the truth. If we're going to be obedient to God's commands, we need to be faithful to the Word of God. We need to hold to the Word of life. And then when you look at the congregation of Smyrna, remember I mentioned Philadelphia a while ago, now Smyrna. And as you look at the Lord's address to Smyrna, verse 8, think of Smyrna as steadfast Smyrna. Because they didn't receive any condemnation. They received all commendation. The Lord was very pleased with this congregation because they were willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. You know, this is the the context. Verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. A lot of times we just quote that. But you realize that that the Lord was, was addressing that to the congregation of Smyrna that was being persecuted for righteousness. They weren't throwing in the spiritual towel. I believe that has to do with the commandments that we read about in Revelation 22 that we are to obey. We're just seeing this from the book of of Revelation. We need a hold to the Word of life. We need to defend the Word of God. We need to be ready to suffer persecution for righteousness. Think about what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Again, that persecution, book of Revelation, can come from the government. If it does, God will take care of that government, I promise you. But do you realize as you read Matthew chapter 10, that persecution can come from within? Read verse number 32 and following. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. You know how He continues that context? Family will turn against you. That's what Jesus is talking about. Your mother, your father, your siblings, your own blood will turn from you because you choose to follow me. That can be that persecution that we're talking about. Whatever the cost is, whatever the price you have to pay to be faithful unto death, you be obedient to God's commandments. You don't throw in the spiritual towel. Look at chapter 3. Look at chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, uh, verse number 19, addressing the congregation at Thyatira. I know thy works in love, and, and listen to this, and service and, and, and faith. Chapter 2, verse 19, and your patience. The idea is, is your endurance and thy works. And I love what the Lord says about their works, the last to be more than the first. Don't you love that? Do you see what the, what the Lord is saying to the congregation of Thyatira? They had some things they needed to correct. But they were doing some things that were good. There were some things that they were doing that, 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 that were right. Their works. Listen to what He says. You're the last to be more than the first. What were they doing? They were abounding in the work of the Lord. They were increasing in their work. They were doing more now than at the beginning. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be as we grow as New Testament Christians? Sometimes it's the opposite though. Sometimes we're doing less than we did before and the Lord wants us to be doing more now with just common sense. As we grow, as we spiritually get stronger, 
We should be doing more for the Lord. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The Lord is going to reward you. The Lord is going to commend you. He knows what we're doing, I believe, collectively as a congregation, the congregation that you may be a part of. I believe He knows what you are doing individually. We need to be doing both. We need to be working with the congregation that we are a part of. But we also need to be working individually. We don't need to be sitting here pointing to each other, hey, you should do this and hey, you should do that. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, For whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with your might. Because there's plenty to do in the kingdom of God. And here's the point we're making. If we are going to be obedient from the book of Revelation, I'm trying to stick with what we see in the book of Revelation, the content, you see that balance. You are, we're going to be busy. We're going to be militant in defending the truth. We're going to be faithful to God. We're going to have this desire for heaven. We're going to have a desire for holiness. We're going to have a desire for Christ's likeness. Read Revelation 3, verse number 5. Again, in view of Christ's return, we must be obedient to God's commandments. Notice point number 2 from Revelation 22. Go back to Revelation 22. Again, Christ's imminent return demands immediate obedience. But number two, it demands immediate worship. Read with me verse number 8. It demands immediate worship. And I, John, I saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, notice what John did. And we would probably do the same thing, but... You're going to be a little surprised as you continue to read verse number 8. John sees all of these things. He hears all of these things. He sees wonderful things. And he falls down. And he worships. Now stop right there. That, that seems like that would be the right thing to do, wouldn't it? To, to get insight in, in, into heaven and to see that, 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 that river of the water of life and to see the tree of life and, and to see these things and to hear these wonderful things and then to fall down and worship. John does that. But John is told to stop. Don't do that. To get up. In other words, don't worship. Well, why is John told told that not to worship let's read verse number 8 again and I John saw these things and heard them and when I heard and seen I fell down to worship before listen to it here it is the feet of the angel which showed me these things then said he the angel unto me see thou do it not for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. And I like how the angel ends. Worship God. Oh, John had the right idea without question. But he needed a little guidance here. 
He sees these things, he hears these things that were being revealed by the angel, and he responds. He worships the angel. And the angel says, don't do that. Don't worship me. What's that say about angels? Angels aren't deity. You see, there's a lot of little things that we learn about angels. One of the most interesting studies I think uh, you can engage in because angels are so involved with with God's work, uh, so involved throughout the New Testament, but very little is said about angels. You're not going to find a chapter, a, a context that just gives us everything that we would like to know about angels. But we do read about angels, and I love some of the things this angel says there in, in verse number 9. Uh, we are fellow servants of the prophets and fellow servants of, of those that keep the sayings of this book. But listen, we're not God. Don't bow down and worship us. Worship God. Immediate worship. And friends, that should be our response. As we think about the return of Jesus Christ, worship, as we talked about from Psalm 84, should have a priority in our life. This should be the most important thing that we do as we go through life. We need to worship God. And let me emphasize that. It's important that we worship the right object because we can worship a lot of different things. And you see people doing it. You see people worshiping themselves, exalting self. You see people worshiping the physical. You see people even worshiping in vain in a religious sense. Listen, I'm not trying to be unkind here, but think about this. Do you realize that the Catholic Church advocates the worship of Mary? The worship of angels? The worship of the saints? And they call it the veneration of saints. The veneration of Mary. They they worship created beings. And here you have a divine example of an angel saying, don't do that. Don't worship things that are created. Worship the Creator. By the way, another example of this is found in Acts chapter 14 when Paul went into Lystra. You remember he he healed a, a lame man? And when those individuals at Lystra saw the power that Paul and Barnabas had, they fell down and worshipped them. And again, you have Paul and Barnabas saying, don't do that. And what does Paul and Barnabas do? He points them to the Creator who created this world, who created us, the true object of worship. But we're talking about living in view of Christ's return. We need to be obedient to God, but we also need to be sure that we are worshiping the God of heaven. And you know, as I read through the book of Revelation, this should be my response. I should want to to bow down and worship God. And read Revelation 4 and 5 because you have two throne scenes and you see that that activity in, in, in heaven. And what you see is worship. Oh, we should have a a, a wonderful desire, a wonderful taste when it comes to worshiping God. That helps us to live in view of eternity.
Go back to Revelation 22. Christ's imminent return demands, notice this, immediate obedience, immediate worship. Look at verse 10. Immediate proclamation. If I'm preparing myself for the second coming of Christ, these are things that I will be doing. I will strive my best to be obedient to God's commandments. I know it won't be perfect. But I know if I confess my faults to God, He's going to forgive me. By the way, that's part of being obedient. And I'm going to worship God. Worship is going to be a priority in my life as I'm waiting for Christ to return. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Christ returned this morning while we're here worshiping God? While we're here being focused on our God? But it also demands us to proclaim God's Word. Proclamation. Look at verse number 10. And He said unto me, listen to what the angel said, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. And then He's going to talk, verse 11, about reality and how people live. And the point is, from verse number 10 and 11, people need to hear the truth of God's Word. We have marching orders to go into all the world and to preach the Gospel. And do you realize as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we reason with people, we should do so of righteousness, of temperance, and of judgment to come. Acts 24, verse number 25. There's going to be a day of judgment and God wants you to be prepared. God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to be in a right relationship with Him. And the only way that you can be right with Him is by... Obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need to hear the truth about God. The truth about themselves. They need to hear the truth about the book of of Revelation. Why would I say that? Do you realize that the majority of the religious world will say that that from Revelation 4 to 22 will, will all happen in the future. Christ will come back to this earth. He will establish His kingdom. He will rule in the city of Jerusalem. And with, when He comes, there's going to be a rapture. The righteous will be taken. That's why when you're driving down the road, you're going to see people not in their cars. The doors will be open. Their boots will be there. Their wallet will be laying on the ground. They have been taken up. You realize so many buy into that. And the majority of that comes from this great book. People need to hear the truth about the book of Revelation. Because it's a wonderful book. Some will read the book of of Revelation out of curiosity. Some will read the book of Revelation out of entertainment. The book of Revelation wasn't written to be entertained by us. It was written to be believed and obeyed. And we can see here in verse number 10 and verse number 11, God wants us to be interested about soul winning. If we're teaching others the truth about the Gospel If we're actually taking time in our busy life to to tell others about the Gospel, it reminds me that that I'm living in view of eternity. I'm doing what, what God wants me to do. The desire of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Proverbs 11, verse number 30. We need to be more committed to soul winning. 
to heralding the good news like the congregation at Thessalonica. Got one more point. Look at verse number 12. And behold, the Lord says, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. In view of Christ's return, the last point teaches us, verse number 12, immediate service. We should be busy in doing the Lord's work. You see that in verse 2. I come quickly, my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. We looked at Matthew 24. The Lord says, be ready, be prepared, I'm coming. As you read Matthew 24, 40-46, the Lord will ask a question. Who's the faithful servant? And then He goes on to explain the faithful servant is the one who is doing, the one who is busy when the Lord returns. Are you busy? I know we're busy, but are we busy doing the Lord's work? The things that we see here in Revelation 22, 7-12, will help us be prepared for Christ's return. The imminent return of Christ demands immediate obedience, immediate worship, immediate proclamation, immediate service. Let's be like Jesus. I am among you as He that serveth. There is so much work to do. But does this describe me? Does it describe you? If it doesn't describe you, make those changes. Make the determination that you're going to do better. Have that attitude that you can do better. You can do more. And allow this last chapter of the New Testament to transform the way you live your life because you will make a difference not only in your own life, but you will make a difference in others. May we always live in view of eternity. And if we haven't obeyed the commandments of God, if we're not a New Testament Christian, let's make that determination this morning that I'm going to be a child of God. I'm going to become a New Testament Christian and I'm going to live for God because I want to be in that place that we see that's called heaven, where the water of life is, where the tree of life is, where the curse is removed, where we can see God face to face. The lesson is yours. If we can encourage you, help you in any way, spiritually speaking, won't you please come right now as we stand and as we sing.